Today on the show, what the F was that? I usually call this my rapid reaction show right after a Seahawks game. I'm going to call this one my rapid overreaction. I am usually measured. I try to be balanced. I say in my bio for the show that I have thoughtful analysis. I'm not feeling that way today. The Seahawks lose 30-13 to in a stunning upset by the Rams at home to start the season. I'll give you my thoughts, my five initial takeaways from this game. As we get going on this episode of Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Yeah, this is going to be a tough one, guys. I, um, (laughs) you know... I try to prepare myself for just about every scenario and um, try to be a little more objective. I think I am more objective than I used to be. Anyway, I did not prepare myself for a scenario where the Seahawks would just come out, be flat, play poorly in all aspects, every aspect, all phases of the game, and get rolled by what I believe is an inferior team. And and let me just start by saying this. (laughs) I had Jake Ellenbogen on my show earlier this week. He is a content creator. He covers the Rams. He does a lot of stuff, really quality content. And I thought our discussion, if if you didn't catch it, maybe go back and watch it now because it may take on a different context and a different meaning after the results of today with the Seahawks losing 30 to 13. Um, so many of you rolled him and and railed against him for predicting that the Rams are going to go 10 and seven. The Seahawks are going to go nine and eight and really talking up this Rams roster, especially on defense as being better than we all expect it to be. And it was easy to write it off. I, I kind of raised an eyebrow myself. Like, is he seeing it through rose colored glasses or Rams colored graphics or glasses? Is he a little biased because he's he's focusing on that team? He's watching them. He's seeing, he's looking for reasons for optimism because I do the same thing. I think sometimes I tend to overstate or overvalue certain players or aspects of our roster because I see them all the time and other, other people don't. Uh, a lot of comments on the YouTube page about <laughs> how the guy's just flat out crazy. What's he smoking? There's no way the Rams are going to be better than the Seahawks. And yet the Rams just came to Lumen Field with eight starters on defense that were drafted in the sixth round or later or undrafted with some names on defense that I had never really even heard of before outside of Aaron Donald, obviously. And you all know how much I covered the draft. And except for a promising drive or two in the second quarter, the Seahawks had a 13-7 lead at halftime. Uh, They dominated the Seahawks in this game. Absolutely dominated us. And, and I will not watch Sean McVay's postgame press conference. He's going to be a cocky P-R-I-C-K. And, uh, and, and, and I suppose in some aspects for good reason, because everybody was writing them off. And I'm sure that's what his approach was heading into this game. Hey, guys, nobody thinks we can win, first of all. Second of all, nobody thinks we're going to be a competitive football team this year. Some people are saying we're going to be competing with the Cardinals for the first pick in the draft. And oh, by the way, the Seahawks have kind of become the darling of the national media and people are picking them to 
challenge the 49ers for the division title. Nobody believes in you. They came up here with a chip on their shoulder. And for and what else did we hear this week? Cooper Cup out on the injured reserve list. And what happened? Uh, to me, the, the player of this game is Matt Stafford. This was a statement game for Matthew Stafford that not only am I healthy, but I, I still have a lot left in the tank. 24 out of 38, 334 yards, an 8.8 yard average. No touchdowns. His rating was only 91.3, but he controlled this game and it was mostly on third downs. Uh, I'm going to read some team stats here and uh, you may want to look away or cover your ears. Seahawks had 12 first downs at halftime. They finished with 13. The Rams beat them in the following categories. First downs, 27 to 13. Total yards, 426 to 180. How bad was it? The Seahawks had three yards on offense in the second half against a defense with six starters in their first or second, I'm sorry, eight starters in their first or second year drafted in the sixth round or later. Uh, what was the focus coming into the season for the Seahawks? They got to improve the run defense. That was that was their Achilles heel last year. Held the Rams to 92 yards rushing, 2.3 yards per rush. Man, that's great. The new scheme works. The new players worked. Gave up 334 yards passing, 11 out of 17 on third down. Average distance to go on third downs was eight yards. Time and time again, the Rams converted third downs. Matt Stafford converted third, third downs. Now that NFL and here's the thing. It is only on YouTube and YouTube TV. This was not a case of blown coverages, broken plays, getting dominated physically. This was Matt Stafford at his best, finding a chink in the Seahawks armor, uh, armor is a very generous word that I shouldn't be using yet with this defense. Uh, it was the same thing over and over again. Same thing over and over again. In breaking routes, middle of the field. These weren't, this wasn't the Seahawks inability to, to stop the run and teams just, and them just gouging us. This wasn't, there have been times over the last couple of years, the Seahawks couldn't defend the screen and teams have picked on us in that way. Or just the underneath little crossing routes, a yard or two beyond the line of scrimmage and then we can't tackle well so they get beat. Yards after the catch. These are 15, 20 yard in breaking routes in the middle of the field. Stafford making dart after dart after dart. Some of them into coverage and nobody making a play. And without Matthew Stafford, who beat him? <laughs> For all the hype coming into the season about the Seahawks young receivers and their veteran receivers, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. DK, three catches, 47 yards, and an early touchdown. Lockett, two catches for 10 yards and a couple of key drops, one in the end zone. But who was all the hype around? Jackson Smith and Jigba, and granted, might not be totally healthy, but he was out there for a lot of snaps. If he's not ready to go yet, don't play him. Three catches, 13 yards. And Jake Bobo, no catches. But who, who showed out for the Rams? Tutu Atwell, their second round pick, who famously in 2020, uh, or 2021 in that draft, they apparently, the Rams really wanted D. Eskridge. Seahawks sniped him, so they pivoted to 2-2 Atwell. 
six catches, 119 yards, and Puka Nakua, fifth-round pick out of BYU this year, 10 catches, 119 yards, and he had a couple drops. He was targeted 15 times. Uh, He's going to be a popular waiver wire claim in fantasy football this week. Uh, But the third down, so go back to those team stats. 11 out of 17 converted with an average depth of eight yards. Seahawks only two out of nine on third downs. We'll get to the offense in a minute. No adjustments made at halftime. And uh, there are two, to me, at first blush, right? This is immediate reaction. I wanted to hit record as soon as the game was over, as soon as we wrapped up our live stream over on the PSF app over there, Dana and I. If you join me on that, thanks for doing that. That was a lot of fun. I can't wait to see that app grow. Download the PSF app. I wanted to uh, give an initial reaction, first blush, right? Uh, Two things. Number one, no penetration up front. Absolutely. The defensive line absolutely did not show up in this game. Really, really pathetic performance by them. Mario Edwards Jr., zero tackles. Jaron Reed flashed a couple times, three tackles, two solos, blocked a field goal attempt. Jaron Reed looked solid. There were times where he impacted the play, taken on blocks. Oh, but how about Draymond Jones? And Draymond Jones got a uh, got a tackle in garbage time at the end of the game to finish with two tackles. None for loss. No QB pressures. Didn't even look like he was on the field. Number 55. Maybe that was a bad jersey number choice for him. But up until that last tackle, he had as many tackles in the game as Drake Thomas, John Radigan, Artie Burns, and Chris Stoll, the undrafted free agent, long snapper, had one fewer tackle than Draymond Jones. Wasn't a factor. At all. So Stafford had all day to throw. Zero sacks in the game. Only four tackles for loss. Only two QB hits. I don't know about QB pressure numbers. Those aren't out yet. Only one pass defense. Nobody made plays. The big acquisitions. Jones was a non-factor. Julian Love had nine tackles. One pass defensed, but was beat a number of times on some of those in-breaking routes. Uh, Trey Brown, six tackles, no passes defensed. Um, If there are goats in this game, I think Jones is front and center. Real question marks after that first game. Against the Rams offensive line that, I don't know, does anyone consider them top third in in the league? I don't know. You know, that right side's pretty solid. They got young guys playing on the left side. Um, Draymond Jones, a non-factor in his first game, playing at home in front of a sold-out crowd on a beautiful day. Reek Woolen, to me, was a non-factor. Got beat a number of times, again, on those in-breaking routes. Didn't make any plays on the ball at all. Two tackles, one solo. Got beat, got blocked out of plays in the run game. Not impressed at all with Reek Woolen today. And... It, it, the second part of that equation, and, and really, if you're not going to get penetration, at least play on the back end. What do we hear about? What do we hear about this entire OTA's offseason, preseason? 
most talented secondary the Seahawks have had since the Legion of Boom. Deep, talented. I've talked about it ad nauseum. Nobody made plays today. And is that talent or is it scheme? Because what I saw today was a very, and again, have to go look at the all 22, have to seek out some opinions from other people who break this, this stuff down in a lot more detail than I do. But it seemed like a very vanilla game plan to me defensively. I didn't see a lot of blitzing. I didn't see a lot of sub packages, exotic looks at all. Some of that stuff we saw in the preseason where the linebackers or Bobby, the inside linebackers, the mic would come up, stand on the line of screen. I didn't see a lot of that. And I saw a lot of soft ass zone coverage playing off of guys. And you can tell me, okay, they just didn't take the Rams seriously. They, they overlooked them. You make that adjustment at halftime. You go in and you say, hey, they're driving the football on us. Let's take them seriously now. Let's, let's show them who we are. And it got even worse in the second half. Three yards offensively, and then on defense, just can't stop him on third down, even after halftime adjustments. So here, let's go through my, my takeaways, okay? Because I just covered the first one. Takeaway one, zero impact from the defensive line. Absolutely zero. Um, saw a couple of cool things from Mike Morris in a couple of snaps, but we didn't see much of Cameron Young at all until the very end. And didn't even see uh, Miles Adams really splash at all. Um, or get into that rotation. In fact, I see zero tackles for Miles Adams as well. Uh, that's got to get better. And and the problem is you, you don't have any other options. Your options are in-house. Maybe Matt Gotell is a guy that could help. He looked good in preseason. He's, he's built differently than the other players on that line, 340 pounds. But again, the run defense was pretty solid. The run fits were good. Bobby Wang, okay. I'll get to the positive stuff at the end, all right? Because I want to save that. Uh, zero impact from the defensive line, which I'll hint at the superlatives, if there are any, at the end. Uh, linebackers had to make, had to clean up all of the trash. Um, takeaway two, Shane Waldron was bad, in my opinion. Maybe one of the, the worst three games he's called. No adjustments, didn't get guys involved. Uh, for for a bit there, when they had their two scoring drives in the second quarter, it looked like they were running the football pretty well with Kenneth Walker. But that Those was pretty faces. much it. Okay, hold Burn on. Sorry about off. this. Uh, that's uh, the ESPN page deciding to play. Um, just, just a bad game from Shane Waldron. I just didn't see any... I just didn't see any adjustments at all throughout the game. None. Um, and I'm a Waldron fan. I think you've heard me talk about it on the show. I think we've seen progression from him. We've seen adjustments from him. It got worse in the second half. I thought he was bad. Uh, it showed up on third down and it showed up in the lack of explosive plays throughout the game. Takeaway three, and this is going to tick some of you off, and I will qualify it before I put it on the screen here that I have been one of Geno Smith's biggest supporters and at times an apologist uh, when trying to explain why he wasn't as good in the last third of the season last year. A lot of that I thought was due to the poor play on the interior of the offensive line. Uh, my takeaway three is Geno. As bad as Shane Waldron was, Geno was worse. Geno was bad today. Geno was as bad as we've seen him, I think. 
someone would have to remind me of a game that he was this bad. 16 out of 26 for 112 yards, a 4.3 yard average. He had the touchdown pass to Metcalf. He was sacked a couple of times, his rating 84.1. Uh, just didn't make plays. Didn't make plays. Uh, and when he had, in particular, when he had to move around in the pocket, didn't look as comfortable as he did last year. Didn't take off, didn't try to run the football at all when that happened. Uh, threw the ball into the turf a couple of times. And look, let me be clear. I think Gino is a legitimate, good quarterback in this league. I think the contract was warranted at the dollar figure they signed him for. I think he's going to bounce back. But Gino had opportunities to make plays today and he didn't make them. And he's got to be better than that. I thought heading into the season, you've heard me say it multiple times, I'm sure, that this young defense with the scheme changes and everything else might take a little while to find their footing. But in the meantime, this offense was going to be consistently dynamic and they were going to be good enough. They were going to score to score 13 points against that Rams defense. When Aaron Donald didn't even dominate, I think they had a pretty good plan. And until we can talk about injuries, I'll talk about that later in the week, you know, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, both leaving this game. We'll give updates there in a minute. Um, Even before that though, Donald flashed here and there, made a couple of plays, but he certainly wasn't dominating. I think at first glance, Evan Brown held his own. Um, but Gino was bad. He didn't make any plays and we needed him to no explosive plays. And he even missed on some of the easy ones. Can't have that. Uh, got banged up late in the game too. Don't know if it was a concussion or not. Um, it didn't look too serious. Takeaway four. It's a question. Are the Hawks too young to win right now or not as good as we thought? It's not like Pete Carroll teams to believe in their press clippings to the point that it affects their performance on the field. But this team, Fox did a good job, I thought, in the late third quarter, early fourth quarter, when it became obvious, and even on the live stream, Dan and I saying, this game's over with eight, nine minutes left. You knew it was over. Seahawks weren't going to score, and they, they couldn't stop the Rams. They did a good job of showing reactions on the sidelines, guys on the bench, DK, JSN, Gino. Um, they look shell-shocked. Did Pete not have this team ready to play? He came out two, two days ago, and that's the thing. That's why I posed the question this way. Yes, they are young. 45% of the roster, first or second year players. That's top five youngest roster in the league. But then Pete comes out, Yesterday, day before, and says, we have expectations on this team of, of accomplishing something special. That's our mindset. He's trying to get this team to embrace the idea of winning the division and challenging for a Super Bowl. Did he have them not sharp enough? Right? They, they came out, I thought they were flat, and then when it became evident they weren't going to win this game, they were shell-shocked. Did we overrate them? Is it too soon? Um, I've talked in particular on here with um, Bill Alfstad and uh, Keith Myers from the Seahawks Playbook Podcast, and I've had this conversation multiple times since the draft. Is this really year two of a three-year rebuild and we need to temper our expectations? Because there are still, as much as they've built up some of the spots in this roster, there are still some weaknesses. Do we need one more good offseason and draft to really focus on that interior defensive line and 
and get some difference makers there. We're going to find out. And then takeaway five, just to kind of build on that point, expectations will now shift. You're going to have the, the part of the fan base that the sky is falling. See, I told you. And to some extent, that's how I'm feeling. I was adamant about my concerns about the, the lack of depth and, and, and the fact that Schneider stopped adding or trying to add to this defensive line. That they brought back Jaron Reed, signed Draymond Jones, drafted a fourth and a fifth round draft pick and called it good. Right? That they weren't more active at the cut down in trying to acquire somebody. Um, that they weren't more aggressive in the offseason about adding another player. It's shocking how unimpactful that defensive line was today. And then the offense falling flat. That's just something I didn't expect. And so now, all of a sudden, this first four-game stretch before the early bye, where you thought, okay, two and two, three and one with a young team might put them in a position to, to go on a run before the, the schedule really gets tough in November with the Niners and the Eagles and all those back-to-back games. That now, now you're on one against a team that everyone had chalked up as a win. Maybe you chalk up week three at home against Carolina win with a rookie quarterback and a bunch of young guys there, and they've got some injuries. But now you're going to Detroit to play the Lions team that's the darling of the NFC in their home opener with an extra few days to prepare coming off a win over the Super Bowl champions. And and if, I guess this is where, and those of you who know me, look, I'm typically an optimist. And as the week goes along and I do shows later in the week, I will probably talk myself into a reasonable, logical look at this game that, look, they're just young and these are going to happen. But now, now you go up against one of the favorites in the NFC on the road. And if you start 0-2, right? Right? Week four is not going to be easy in New York, Monday night football under the lights and and a team that feels fancies themselves as a contender as well. Things can get really scary really fast. I told you I would get a little more optimistic and talk about some good stuff, right? First and foremost, well, let me save this one. Uh, I I mentioned the linebackers. (laughs) Bobby Wagner in his first game back in a Seattle uniform at Lumen Field. 19 tackles. Nine of them solo, one tackle for loss. Unbelievable performance from Bobby. And, and I, I don't necessarily think, and this is where I think, you know, we did see some improvements in the run game. And maybe some of you will, will reach out to me and say, look, the, in this new scheme, they've talked about how they're, you know, they're, you know, the job of the interior defensive lineman is to occupy blocks and let the linebackers do their work. Well, that's not what we've been told this offseason, A, We've been told they're going to do less two-gapping, more one-gapping, and let these guys attack. B, if that was the case, you don't go spend $50 million on Draymond Jones to make an impact. And the book on Draymond Jones was dynamic pass rusher, improving as a run defender, but it's not his strength. He didn't get anywhere near Matthew Stafford today. Going against Rob Havenstein and Joe Noteboom, I don't know. I don't know, man. 
Uh, Jordan Brooks also have to shine a spotlight on him coming back first game off ACL. He was out there with the starting lineup, no brace on his knee, nine months after ACL surgery, 12 tackles four solo made some plays. Uh, certainly those two stood out today. Uh, and then I'll say this, there might not be anyone better in the NFL. Certainly there aren't many better in the NFL I'm talking about head coaches at doing what Pete Carroll is now faced with having to do. And that is teach, make this a learning opportunity because, you know, sometimes it can be cliche and sometimes we use this argument as, as a defense mechanism to deal with our own disappointment. Right. But sometimes you got to get kicked in the nuts and woken up. Uh, a lot of you also gave me a bunch of crap in that uh, episode, uh, the Rams preview with Jake for, uh, I think the headline read something like, is this a trap game for the Seahawks? A lot of you told me I was ridiculous. And the point I was trying to make was, did the Seahawks overlook this team? Did the Seahawks not take this team seriously enough? A team that they should have known would be hungry and want to prove something. Don't underestimate this either. Look, I, I, I ripped Shane Waldron today. That's his, that's his mentor over there. Say what you want about that Rams roster right now and how they sold out to win that Super Bowl and now they're paying the price for it. Sean McVay is still one of the most dynamic play callers in the league. And he schooled his former quarterback coach, Shane Waldron, today. Uh, not a lot of good to come out of this. Uh, also, injuries... Let me see if I can get any updates uh, while I'm recording here. Um, Abe Lucas was the first to leave. He was questionable to return and um, and uh, didn't with a knee, but didn't have to go to the locker room, didn't get carted off. Um, hopefully that's positive. It's just a minor thing. And then Charles Cross went off and, and some people really freaked out because he was taken off on a cart. Turns out it's a toe injury. He did come back to the sidelines, had his helmet for a little bit. Um, those toe injuries can be tricky sometimes. We'll see how long that, that impacts him. But um, but at least, you know, could have been worse, right? Could have been a knee or, or a high ankle sprain or an Achilles, something along those lines. So let's hope that those aren't serious injuries because my goodness, Jake Curran struggled at right tackle. Stone Forsyth in the snaps that I focused on him, I, I thought in pass pro especially, uh, did some cool things. And that was the scouting report on him coming out of Florida a couple of years ago. Was it, you know, pass pro wise, he can play in this league, has some work to do as a run blocker. Um Sprained toe for Charles Cross and sore knee for Abe Lucas um, is the word on those guys. Let me just give you some of this stuff before I sign off, um, and then I'll do a full breakdown tomorrow, kind of a morning after thing with some of the, the Pete Carroll stuff. But uh, Gino taking accountability said this can be put on me, uh, struggles in the second half. Um put it on me. It sucks. It really does. We don't lose at home. We can't do that, let alone in this fashion. Okay. Dana and I talked about this during, during the game. Let's put that aside. Let's put that one to bed. The Seahawks do not any longer have a home field advantage. It is not difficult on the opponent to play at Lumen Field any longer. Crowd doesn't impact games. I'm a season ticket holder. I'm usually there. I know. I've heard it. I've been there since 1984. 
crowd does not impact games anymore. Plus teams are better at preparing for that. They have silent counts and they, they prep for it in practice. It's not an advantage anymore. Um, and then this, this speaks to what I was talking about when they showed players on the sideline looking defeated. Geno Smith in the press game, post-game press conference said the Rams wanted it more. It just looked like they were playing harder. I'm going to end on that. It's inexcusable. There's absolutely no excuse for that. And if Pete Carroll wants us to consider this a contending team, and he says they have aspirations of achieving something special, well, we need to see Pete Carroll at his best now. What happened today was inexcusable for as much talent as has been injected into this roster the last couple of years, how well they've pivoted from trading Russell Wilson and, and filled out this roster and some of the advancements we saw in, in the development of young players last year. Um, and then some of the things they added to it that we liked this offseason. Week ones can be tricky, right? The Cincinnati Bengals got humbled today. By the Cleveland Browns got blown out. The Minnesota Vikings got beat at home by Baker Mayfield and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Week ones can be tricky. And sometimes the biggest difference you see in the NFL is, is the change from week one to week two. I'm not saying the Seahawks that this game against the Lions is a must win, although I might ask that question later in the week. But they got to play better and they got to show us the things we thought were going to be good about this team are there. This is the kind of stuff Pete thrives on. He has to show us. For Geno Smith, for the quarterback to stand up there and say, they played harder than us. They wanted it more. Did they not think that was going to happen? Did they think the Rams are going to come into this game and lay down? It doesn't happen in the NFL, man. The Cardinals were competitive today. A team that everybody thinks is intentionally tanking to get the first pick. Inexcusable what happened today. One of the most disappointing losses I can remember in years. Because I think it was avoidable. And I think the talent's better in this. I do. But they didn't show up today. Didn't show up at all. Hopefully they will next week. We'll be talking about it uh, as the week goes along for sure. Um, like this video. Subscribe to the channel. We'll dig into it this week. Um, Going to preview the Lions with Chris Prefect, um, who covers the Lions from that side. And uh, we'll break this thing down tomorrow and dig into Pete Carroll's coach's show when he does that in the morning. I'm Dan. Thanks for watching and listening. At Seahawks Forever on Twitter. Oh, have a beer. Get some rest. Flush this thing. Let's hope Pete can work his magic and turn this thing around because this was bad. 30-13, to 13, the Seahawks dropped to 0-1 there in last place in the NFC West. And I didn't even mention how damn good the 49ers look today. Maybe that's the note I'll end on. For now, I'm going to take charge of it on this show. Let's just stop talking about contending in the NFC West and competing with the 49ers. Let's try to get our shit straight, get this roster fixed, and just get to a point where maybe we can compete with them by November, okay? Thanks again for watching and listening. As always, no matter what, even after a bad performance like today, forever and always, go Seahawks.